All right, finishing up 1 Kings tonight. We are in 1 Kings chapter 22. Of course, you know the book was written as the book of Kings, and we divided it up ourselves into 1 Kings and 2 Kings. So once we finish this, we'll go right on over to 2 Kings and start up chapter 1. Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Uh, Jehoshaphat had a lot of good things going for him, but he had some bad alliances, and this is something that plagued his entire time as king. He continued to have bad alliances with the kings of the north who were not worshippers of God, even entering into marriage alliances and so forth, but he's for another day. But you do have to ask the question, why does a guy like Jehoshaphat buddy up with a guy like Ahab? He's, uh, he's not a God-fearing man, but he... Jehoshaphat seems to have this problem with them. So they want to go up and they want to have a battle. Now the two times before we saw that Syria, they had battled with Syria, Syria attacked Israel. But this time, Israel is the aggressor and they're going after them. So then it came to pass in the third year. Well, it came to pass because people made it happen. It didn't just, it isn't something that just happened to them. They actually made it happen. So Jehoshaphat went down to visit Ahab as we saw, I, did, I took these out of their outline for you, but some of the qualities that Ahab has is he worships idols. He has rejected God. He has a foreign wife who's set the standard for evil women for thousands of years. He kills a man for his vineyard, and God announced the harsh punishment for his death. So it doesn't get along with very, very many prophets. Uh, you, you just wonder, how does a guy like Jehoshaphat get along with him? So can you see the wisdom in not being friends with a guy like Ahab? The guy, people like Ahab, don't be close friends with them and don't enter into alliances with them. They won't be good for you. Verse 5, And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire from, for the Lord, for the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there still not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king said to him, said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. So they go out and they, they get this guy. So once again, we have a prophet show up in the kingdom of Ahab, not named Elijah. Now what is interesting here is he says, is there not a prophet that we can call on? Could you, is not Elijah a prophet of Jehovah? But again, as we talked about last time, it doesn't seem that Elijah is open to being called on. He doesn't seem to be the prophet that you call on. He calls on you. And generally when he does, it's not good. He's not a guy that you want to see uh, most of the time. So anyway, they, he, say, he says he has one. Well, we also saw in the previous chapter there were three prophets of the Lord that came and uh, interacted with him. And, of course, he didn't like any of them. Um, of course, not good things are coming from there. So they go out and they, and they get this one. 
But we got 400 prophets that he calls in when, he, when Jehoshaphat says, let's inquire of the Lord. He brings in 400 prophets. Where did we see that number come up before? On the mount. That's apparently is a set number of prophets that they have for this. I think this one was for Baal. It's either 400 for Baal or 450 and then the, the other number for Asherah. And so they called those ones in to, to prophesy. And Jehoshaphat picks up, these are not prophesying by the word of the Lord. They may be using his name, but they're not prophesying in the word of the Lord. It would seem that they would be, my guess would be that they're prophets of Baal, because somehow those prophets seem to mimic some of the things of, of worship with Jehoshaphat, or Jehovah. It seems. But anyway, he calls them on in. But he gets the message when, Je, when Jehoshaphat says, is there not still a prophet of the Lord? So he gets the message that something isn't right. But the way we're reading this, the way it's written down, it seems like he asked the same question twice. I saw one note that, uh, that, that one of the words Jehovah was changed to, Adonijah. Uh, but I can't find that in, the, in all the looking that I did around. I, I wasn't able to find that. So it, I'm not saying that it's not true. Maybe it's in uh, another, uh, maybe it's more in the Chronicles and I didn't tear that one apart as much as I did the, the uh, uh, story here. So... Um, in 1 Kings 18 and verse 19, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the, 400, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. So there we have the, the, the verse. I did put it in here. 450 were accounted for Baal, 400 for Asherah. But he's calling in 400. But it seems to be these are the household prophets anyway he's calling on in and that he's, he's bringing by there. Now, three years ago is when we had the incident where uh, Naboth's vineyard was taken and Elijah came on the scene and he pronounced a, a horrible thing for his, his house to which Ahab repented. And he probably had a lot of uh, opposition from his wife and from other people, but he still repented. He spent that time in sackcloth and ashes and, and was generally repenting and got God's attention and God sent Elijah back and said, all right, it won't happen in your lifetime. It'll happen another." So he did this great repentance. But in the three years that occurred from that story to this story, he has not grown so that he is able to discern what is right from what is wrong, what is true from what is false. And apparently, he hasn't really grown in the worship of Jehovah at all because the prophets he calls in, Jehoshaphat says, are not prophets of the Lord. So that tells you that his repentance, though genuine because God recognized it, it didn't last very long. Just because people repent and it doesn't last very long does not mean it was not genuine. There's a lot of times people will judge it well, they didn't really mean it. Well, this guy meant it and got God's attention and three years later we see he's back in the same practices. So that's, um, that's our man here, Ahab. I put in, I don't know, did I put this in your outline? We bring on our own calamity when we don't do what is necessary for growth. A lot of times Christians don't do what is necessary to get their spiritual growth going so that they can discern what is false from what is true. And they bring on calamity on themselves. A lot of times, folks, we're in trouble because of our own stupidity. We're in trouble because we didn't grow spiritually. We're in trouble because we didn't heed the stop signs that God put up for us. Now, this uh, story has a lot of similarities to 2 Kings chapter 3, and verse 13. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver, to deliver them into the hand of Moab. 
And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely, were it not that I regarded the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played and the hand of the Lord came upon him that he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. And he begins to talk about a deliverance that they, they had for them. But uh, <clears throat> understand this. If it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, God wouldn't have even shown up. He would not have been there. How many situations are we as Christians bringing God into that God has no interest in? We do need to be mindful of that. Because Jehoshaphat is bringing God into a situation that God does not want to be in. Look at Elisha's words. Were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Pretty strong words. But instead of that, we had an entire deliverance for those three kings from the hand of the king of Moab. So Micaiah is brought in and he's uh, kind of coached a little bit on what to, what to be saying. Kind of helped out, <coughs> helped out a little bit on this. So let's pick up where we left off. We leave off verse... Did we read verse 9 already? Yeah, okay. I had uh, 10 for the next one. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. So while they're doing this, 400 prophets are out there prophesying. Does that sound like God? Can we find one time in the Word of God where God had 400 prophets all out there prophesying the same thing? Never has happened. If it never has happened, this is probably not God. I've heard of people, not, not recently, but in other times, where they have a whole church full of people and they are all prophesying. They're being taught how to prophesy and they're all out there prophesying. It's more similar to the prophets that are false than any true prophets I see. You get involved in a situation and a whole mess of people are all on the floor prophesying, walk out. Don't worry about who you embarrass. Don't worry about what kind of a ruckus you will cause. Walk out. That is not a place to be in. God does not move that way. If we get in there, I mean, I've had Christians, I've had Christians, people that were in this church who went out to places and didn't have enough sense to get out of it. And they got altered. Spiritually, they were altered. And they eventually weren't comfortable being around here anymore. It's, it's bad news. How does God say that the spirit of the prophet will work? Real clear in Corinthians. One at a time. If you see anything else but one at a time, it's not God. 400 at a time. It's not God. <laughs> so they're all up there in the throne and this is going on. Jehoshaphat should know, walk out. But he doesn't. Now the 400 prophesied from a position of comfort, not from a position of risk. And I bring that out to you for this particular reason. 400 prophets are saying what the king wants to hear. One is going to come in who will say what the king does not want to hear. That is the word of God. Today, we are under pressure to speak words of comfort, not words of risk. We are being told, we are being mandated by the media, by people in authority, that thou shalt not speak against homosexuals, against gay marriage. Thou shalt not speak against alternate lifestyles, transgenders, all these types of things uh, are, are going on. And now in the 
high schools, you're going to have boys who want to dress up as girls and use the girls' room. And the high school is okay with it. A lot of high schools are being okay with this. And uh, tell you what, you have to ex accept that type of perversion or you're going to be deemed something. And just as it was in this story, do not get on the side of comfortable. Stay on the side of risk. Go through the entire Word of God, you will find how many people stayed on the side of risk, even though what they were saying was not popular. So they're all down there prophesying and going about. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chenena, <coughs> Chenena, had made horns of iron for himself, and he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. Now, I don't know how long it takes to make horns of iron, <laughs> but I can't imagine he made them right then. He had to come into the meeting with the horns of iron. So he's got props. We all know props make the sermon oh, yeah. worthwhile, right? That's what you want to do. So he's got horns of iron for himself, and he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. I don't know about you, but if I'm going into battle in this time, I want swords, I want spears, I want things like that. I don't want horns. You go out there with horns, you're going to get killed. That's just not going to work. Kind of reminds you of that scene from uh, Indiana Jones, where the guy comes out there with the... Uh, was it the that, did he have the big knife or something like that? He was waving around and, and so forth, and... And Indy just pulls out his gun and shoots him, and he drops down dead. That's a fun scene. You wonder why people haven't done that in movies beforehand. <laughs> uh, anyway, and all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hands. How many of the prophets? How many prophets are there? That means 400 are prophesying at the same time, doesn't it? Does all mean all? 400 are there? Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. So he's being coached. Here's the comfortable thing to say. How many times in this day and age, folks, are we being coached what to say? Jesus is the only way? Well, no, you can't be that close-minded. You have to you know, be open to other ways to get to heaven. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what a... Whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? Now, we can't communicate tone in, in text, but I get the tone of it. I get it that he's kind of up there. He's sitting there on his throne. He's got his robe on. And he doesn't want to be here. He did not want to call Micaiah. Jehoshaphat did. Jehoshaphat's not asking him. Ahab is asking him. So he's got to be up there, and I just don't, I don't get a real enthusiastic Ahab out of this. I got a guy who's sitting there and saying something like this. <sighs> Micaiah, we want to go up and fight against Ramoth Gilead. What do you say we ought to do? No real enthusiasm, just kind of, I have to come to you. Got to find out what you want. I want Jehoshaphat to go with me, but I have to come to you, and I got to ask you, and well, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or should we refrain? And he answered, Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Now remember, he said, I won't say anything but what the Lord says for me to say. That would tell us what? The Lord told him to say that. 
But he probably said it in just a sarcastic tone. And Ahab picks up on it. And so he tries to capitalize. He's trying to show himself how spiritual he is a Jehoshaphat. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Uh-huh, yeah, right. <laughs> That's what you've had to do. It looks good to Jehoshaphat. Remember, we're putting on a show here. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, They have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? He's waiting for it. I knew it was coming. I knew he would prophesy evil. I told you he would do that. Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. This is the powerful part. <clears throat> We've had nothing so far. This is the part. And if you're not careful, you can get real confused out of this. Hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. Whose throne? The Lord's throne. Where is the Lord's throne? Are you sure? I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out to be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now, that's a huge mouthful right there. Uh, quite a bit is being said. Micaiah has given us a vision into heaven. Now, the host of heaven, I've meant to copy all these scriptures in there. I have them all listed out from when we covered the host of heaven years ago. We did do this once, once or twice before, at least once before. So you'll have to do this on your own. But if you do a search for host of heaven on your computer, computer is the easiest way, host of heaven, you will find that there are 19 different verses that have the phrase host of heaven. Almost every single one, one verse I found out of that, that might be able to be rendered in a positive manner. Every single other one is negative. The host of heaven are not angels. The host of heaven are associated with the stars and the moon, and they are associated with demon worship. They are associated with spirits. They are associated with idolatry. Jesus even warns them countless times in the, in the law. You shall not worship the host of heaven as the inhabitants had before. The inhabitants of this land were worshipers of the host of heaven. That's who was in this land before. So that worship of this particular group of spirits was worshipped by the inhabitants of their land prior to Israel being there. Israel was supposed to wipe out the entire land, burn all of their idols, burn all of their altars, and get rid of all that stuff. They didn't do it. So the worship of the host of heaven continued while Israel lived in the land. So that host of heaven was still having an influence in that area. Now some people want to look at this and say that the spirit who spoke up is a demon spirit. 
Demon spirits possess people. I want you to look at one of the phrases that this, this uh, particular spirit said. <clears throat> then a spirit, how many spirits is that? That is one spirit, came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. How many prophets does he have? 400. How many spirits are going out? One. Can We know that one person can be inhabited by more than one demon. Can a demon inhabit more than one person? I don't know of any way or any case where it has ever occurred in the Word of God where more than one person was inhabited by the same spirit. So what you're looking at here is not a demon spirit who possesses people, but a spirit who influences. And so he went out as a spirit to be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets, plural. All 400 are speaking the same word of prophecy because all 400 are yielded to the same spirit. That's how you have unison. Can you see that? Something like that, yes. Very much like that. It is unclean. Yeah, it is not, not godly. There is no angel that God has on his team who will be a lying spirit in the mouth of anyone. Because lying is of the devil. He is the father of lies. God is not. So if it is of the kingdom of God, it is truth. And if it's of the kingdom of Satan, it is false. Now, here's the fun part. Where are we at? We're in heaven, right? We've got the throne of God. On his right hand and on his left hand is the host of heaven. Which seems to be a particular group of spirits that are worshipped by the inhabitants of this area before and still going on now. Now again, 19 verses. Even in the book of Daniel, even in the book of Acts, this is where you're going to find some of these things. There's also one other reference that sometimes people pull in, but the phrase is changed enough that it's a bit different. In the Gospels, when the angel Gabriel showed up, it is said there was a heavenly host. It did not say host of heaven. It said a heavenly host. It changes it just a little bit. But if you see that phraseology, host of heaven, constantly it is warning. Out of the 19 verses, 18 of them I would deem as negative. One might be able to be used as a positive one. Have fun. Go out there and look them up. Again, I was going to bring them over here and read them for you, but um, I, didn't get to, I didn't get to bring them on over, so we will have to do that. But it's a real easy thing. Host of heaven. It's used that same phrase all the way on through. Remember, we had a song. I love the song, but he uses the phrase host of heaven. We had to change this, the, the phrase in order to sing the song because I couldn't have that in, in the song. I knew better. So <laughs> but anyway, then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out to be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. 
Now, we've talked about it in the Word of God that many times in the Hebrew mentality, if God does not prevent something, God does it. But that does not work here because we are seen into heaven and what we are seeing is that God allowed it, sent it. God listened to all the different ways to persuade Ahab to go into battle. And um, he liked this one. This one will work. He heard that and says, that's going to work. That's going to be okay. Now, I want to read a few other verses of Scripture here. Oh, I didn't give you this. The host of heaven. I couldn't, put this, couldn't fit this in your, in your outline. But the, the Hebrew word translated host, not the Greek. The Hebrew word translated for host of heaven usually designates an army and thus connotes, uh, connotates a, a, a vast body of organized and officered men. It conveys, however, also the meaning of a numerous throng actually engaged in warfare. That is the word that is used to describe this group of people, this group of spirits that are before. Well, what warfare are they engaged in? Now, again, it's the host of heaven. It seems to be something in the region. These spirits are worshipped in this region. We don't know that they're worshipped in other places, but we know that this particular, the Canaanites, the folks that were on there, worshipped this particular group. And they seemed to have influence in that area and wanted to continue to have influence while Israel was there. God's plan was that Israel would worship him and cast out all the idols, thereby cast out these, these groups from having any influence over here. But they didn't do it. So they still have an influence in that area. Now, remember this. Adam gave up the authority of the land to whom? Satan. So Satan has the authority over the land. And Satan has divvied up the land. And he has principalities and powers and so forth. And these things are over there. And he has divvied up this particular area, apparently, to this group of spirits. And God had a way to overcome them. And the children of Israel decided not to do it. They are engaged in warfare. And right now the inhabitants of the land are the children of Israel. They are not necessarily engaged to wipe out the children of Israel. They are engaged to wipe out the truth. And these folks are obliged to do that. Let me read a few uh, verses of scripture here talk about some of the things in this area. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the Spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard from was coming, and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Therefore, or they are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. They should have discerned that spirit of error back there in the Old Testament if they just knew the spirit of truth. But they didn't. 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master not command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp and it shall be that he will play it with his hand 
when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So they knew the music affected this particular distressing spirit, but this was a distressing, didn't seem to be one that possessed him, but just as God had been with him before, this one is with him, and instead of influencing him for good, distresses him and influences him in a, in a wrong direction. But that is just one spirit that came there. But it's called a distressing spirit from the Lord. This is one that people look at, well, God didn't prevent it, so therefore God... Well, we look at that other one, maybe we're looking at things a little bit differently, huh? One more, oh, two more verses of Scripture here. Zechariah 13, <coughs> Zechariah 13 and verse 2. It shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. Host of heaven is associated with this. I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. See what he says there? I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. How would that happen? Where they're supposed to cut off the names, they're supposed to cut off that worship of the idols. If they don't cut off that worship to the idols, what happens? The prophets and the unclean spirit stay, which means you're still under that influence and those, those words that, that that prophet would be speaking, right? Longer section of scripture, but it's important for us to see this. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 1. Now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Idols cause them to stumble into iniquity. They set up the idols in their hearts. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? Should I let myself be inquired of? God does not even want to be inquired of by people who are pursuing idols. Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up, an, sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols. That I may seize the house of Israel by their heart because they are all estranged from me by their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent, turn away from your idols, turn your faces away from all your abominations. For anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel who separates himself from me and sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb and I will cut him off from the midst of my people. Then you shall know that I am the Lord and if the prophet is induced to speak anything, I, the Lord, have induced that prophet and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people and they shall hear their iniquity and the punishment of the prophet shall be the same as the punishment of the one who inquired that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me nor be profane anymore with all their transgressions for that they may may that they may be my people and I may be their God, says the Lord of Israel. So do you get the idea from there that God does not like it when you consult idols and then come to him? He says, if you're going to go out and separate yourself from me and go and consult the idols and then you want to come and ask something of my prophet, 
Oh, do you have, how many of y'all get the idea that God is now upset? I will put my face against you. I will come against you. I will do this. Mm-hmm. Now, Zedekiah, that's verse 24. I put, this on, I put this on Facebook. Anybody see this on Facebook? If you saw it on Facebook, you can fill it in. If you didn't see it on Facebook, I'll give it to you. If we will not listen to the truth, what is false will take its place. If we will not listen to the truth, what is false will take its place. You may remember that. I gave the guy about uh, eight years ago. Put that in that way. If you, if me, if we will not listen to the truth, if we hear the truth, and we put it on this title there, how to be good listeners. This is my daughter's phrase. My daughter is responsible for the title of today's message. <laughs> Spent a couple of days with her going, and she's chasing after the, the daughter, and the <laughs> granddaughter's doing things, you know. And so one of her phrases that she comes up with now, uh, are you a good listener? <laughs> and what constitutes a good listener as far as a little two-year-old is concerned? Are they doing what we said to do? If you're not doing what we said to do, you are not a good listener. <laughs> so... Are you a good listener? You are a good listener if you do what the Word of God says to do. But when the Word of God comes and the truth comes, if we do not take that truth in, then what is false will find its way to us. Now, here's the thing. There's a, if I hear truth and I don't, ex- I don't take it in, I've rejected that truth, haven't I? There are some people who haven't heard the truth yet. They don't know it. They haven't rejected it. You cannot reject what you haven't heard. But if you hear it and it's truth and you say no, we have rejected the truth. Now maybe down the road you, you come to a place of accepting it. But we have to be careful. Here's the thing. You don't have to understand all that there is about that truth. But the spirit that we have on the inside can discern between truth and false. And if you do not yield to the spirit that's on the inside of you that says that is truth. All right. I'm not quite understanding this yet, but I recognize that is truth. I recognize that to be, be right. We need, to, we need to listen. Because if I will not listen to the truth, what is false will take its place. And you'll see that in Christians all around the country. They have rejected what is truth. And what is false has come in instead. And they've accepted what is false as what is truth. Let's go on here. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chanana, <coughs> went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? See, he is, he is under the impression that he is speaking by the inspiration of the Lord. By the inspiration of Jehovah. That's what he's, he's under that impression. I don't know how you can have that. Maybe they have the impression that you can serve Baal and the Lord. Maybe they're under the impression that they're serving the Lord in the, in the false worship that uh, was set up by Jeroboam. Whatever it is, they still feel that they're, they're going that direction. But we've seen a lot of stop signs already in, in this. 400 people prophesying at once and not listening to that. Now, Micaiah has a great response on this. It's a bold one. And Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into the inner chamber to hide. In other words, when they come back, 
you're going to be running for cover because what you're saying is false. What I'm saying is true, and that's what it's going to come out. So the king of Israel said, now here's some interesting phraseology in this. Take Micaiah and what? If you buy something at a store and don't, aren't satisfied with it or changed your mind, what do you do with the item? You return it. Why is it said that you are returning it? Because it originally came from the store. If you try and return something that didn't come from the store, you're not returning it. You're, you're doing something else. But it's not a return. In order for the thing to return to the store, it had to have... Now, we don't know exactly where Micaiah came from. They went and he said, go send for him. So they knew where he was. Right? He doesn't like him. It's not, so it's not like, you know, we, I, I don't know. I don't, he's not, you wouldn't think he'd be keeping tabs on him. If you don't like him, get out of my sight. I don't want to see you. But he says, return him. Hmm. And return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. Now, it may be that he wasn't in the inner prison with the restrictions of the diet, and maybe he was just under the care of the governor because this guy's causing trouble in the kingdom and he's saying things that are uncomfortable. Then we need to lock him up or keep him under tabs. But it would seem that he's returning him, but maybe they're taking his, his uh, prison, his residency, his place where he was locked up at into something a little bit more severe. But it is an interesting word, return. I looked it up. It means exactly what it says. <laughs> Again, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know a lot more Greek than I do Hebrew. and I really don't know any Hebrew and don't really want to learn it. I don't like Hebrew. I, don't, I just don't, don't like that one. But anyway, I looked that one up and that's what it means. Return means, it means take it back to where it was. Thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. Take heed, all you people. What people are there? Prophets, Jehoshaphat, Ahab, maybe some other guards. He's speaking to the people that are on the other side. Take heed, all you people. If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. Wow. Do you know of any people today who'd be bold enough to say that? If this doesn't come true, the Lord has not spoken through me. Now, that, tells, that tells you a couple of things. One, he, he knows the voice of God, or true, this thing, that he, this thing that he saw in heaven was really real, really strong. It was something. Micaiah saw up into heaven. How many people in the Word of God saw into heaven? There's John, there's Paul, there's Stephen. Make a case for Enoch and possibly Peter, James, and John. The numbers are low. And this prophet we never heard from before, never hear from after, 
is one of the ones that God called on. Go back to what he said to Elijah. I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee. He had Micaiah the time that he, he gave this word. And Micaiah, apparently, folks, <laughs> nothing to be left at. I bet you Micaiah could have stood in, in Elijah's place if Elijah wanted to go. He'd be one of the guys I would have called on. This guy has got some guts. And talk about supernatural, seeing into heaven, and seeing something, folks, that we really have nothing like this anywhere in the Word of God. Do, do you know of anything like it? This is an amazing thing. This is not the angelic host. This is something that by most Christian standards should not be able to happen. That the host of heaven is before the throne of God. And God asks for ideas about how to get Ahab into battle. Hmm. Now, I didn't get these to fit in your outline, but Micaiah means who is like Jehovah. Zedekiah, his uh, nemesis there, means justice of Jehovah. Don't know that means anything for you, but that's what their names mean, in case you were wondering. It. <clears throat> now Ahab, when he hears these words, immediately talks about hate. I told you he hates me. How many times do we see this in the world today? That when someone speaks the truth of God, it is referred to as hate. And remember that movie that came out? Uh, about the end times and, uh, and the people who were Christians are all called haters. What was that name of that? Um, can't think of it. Cam uh, oh, Left, Behind. Left Behind series. Uh, they're all called haters. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you that they were on to something because that's where we have seen everything go. The people who hold to a truth, people who hold to a standard are called haters. And yet the hate that you see comes from the people on the other side. I mean, they hate police officers. And they hate this group. They hate the rich. They hate, they, they hate corporations. They hate all kinds. They hate churches. They hate, they hate, they hate. They go into places and they start shooting them up. Because they hate. And yet, it's the other side that's called the haters. This is an attitude that's there. It is right from the pit of hell. It's nothing new. It has been in here before. And it's coming up again. Don't give in to it. Don't yield to it. Don't ever do that. So Ahab hears Micaiah's words as hate against him. But what does Jehoshaphat hear? When Jehoshaphat hears this, what does he hear? He's the one who called for the prophet of the Lord. He got the 400 prophets. He called for another one. Can we get a real prophet of the Lord? And Micaiah comes in and Micaiah states something. What does Jehoshaphat hear? Because he still goes in the battle. What does he hear? He asked for this. He asked for the prophet to be brought in. The whole reason we have this scene is because Jehoshaphat. Probably the only reason that God even showed up. Or that God even gave Micaiah the vision of the whole thing. Now, we have here that, that God seemingly has brought in the host of heaven... Bad, bad spirits and ask them for ideas on how to deceive Ahab and get him into, into battle. Well, what does God have on his side to lure Ahab into battle? Isn't that the purpose? How shall we get him to go into this battle? Isn't that the purpose that God states? 
All right, what does God have that will lure him into this battle? Think harder because the answer is going to be pretty tough for you to say. Nothing. Nothing. He's got nothing. God has nothing to get him into this battle. Right? Does God have lies? Does God have deception? All God has is truth and light. So if God shows up on the scene, what's going to happen? Light's going to come in and the whole thing's going to be, 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 be shown. So what happens? The 400 prophets come in. They are of this, this spirit that, that's here. Is going to be a, and, and they say the, the lying stuff. And he says, oh, this is good. This is good. We're going to go in there. We're going to win this battle. I knew it was going to be good. This, isn't that enticing? And God says, you know, if we just leave it like that, it's going to be fine. But if he calls me in, I'm, I'm going to play it straight. So Micaiah, when he comes in, I want, this is what happened. Because all that God can do is light and truth. So when Micaiah comes in, what's he going to do? All he can do is speak the truth. So God says, <laughs> all right, you're going out there and you be the light, but I'm going to come in and I'm going to give him the truth of this thing. <laughs> And then we'll just let him see which one he wants to choose. He can discern himself whether he wants to go the way of the lie or the way of the truth. But God gave him the tools. Even though, by our accounts in Scripture, he had no reason to. He should reject his inquiry from the beginning. But God says, all right, I'm, still go- I'm going to expose this whole thing to you. All right, verse 29. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. I've, I've said this before, but Jehoshaphat is not the brightest tack in the, or the sharpest tack in the, in the pile. There's, there's no way that you can say that you have a high degree of intelligence if the prophecy that you ask for comes out and says, we want to lure King Ahab in because we want him dead. And so King Ahab says, look, <laughs> instead of both of us going in with our kingly robes, how about if just you do? What do you think Ahab's thinking? If they see you, they'll come after you and they'll leave me alone. So Je- Jehoshaphat says, what? Okay. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Uh, I'll do it. So the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of chariots saying, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So all their commanders have got, the, got the, the goods here. All we want to do is get the king of Israel. That's it. Leave everybody else alone. We don't care about killing anybody else. Just get that one. So it was when the captains of the children of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him and Jehoshaphat cried out. <laughs> and it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. Now this is just amazing to me. You are in a war. You are in a battle. Jehoshaphat is on the other side. He is killing your guys. Right? Isn't that what they do? That's what the battles of the king. He is killing your guys. You come up to him. You are about ready to kill him and stop him. And he says, hey, I'm Jehoshaphat. Oh, how you doing? Man, we got no beef with you. You go on and keep on killing our guys. We're going to go over here. How does that happen? How does that happen? I don't, under, I don't understand this. And so, uh, but Jehoshaphat has enough presence of mind to know they're coming after the king of Israel. 
So they must think I'm the king of Israel because I'm the only one dressed like a king. So I'll show them I'm not the king of Israel, that I'm the king of Judah, and they go away. But you cannot hide from God. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he, he's not aiming at anything. Sometimes archers, you know, got a lot of people out there. You just shoot it up in the air and hope it comes down and hits something. Because when you are penetrating armor, as a, as a uh, person with, with arrows in this time of fighting, you do not shoot directly there. If you shoot directly at the armor, it will hit the armor and fall down. It cannot build up enough speed to do any damage. What you do as an archer in this is you shoot it straight up into the air, way high in the air, get a really high arc, and then it comes down and gains speed as it comes down, so it hits it with more velocity. But you can't aim. All you can do is shoot it and hope it lands somewhere. Good. Somewhere good. That's, that's all you can do. And if you've seen some of the scenes in the movies where they shoot the arrows up in the air and their guys are out there fighting, they find their own people as much as they find the other people. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty vicious. I like that one uh, phrase that was uh, said of uh, one of the Greek battles that was there, that uh, when they shot their, when the enemy had so many people and they shot their arrows up in the air, that uh, it would block the sun. And the guy just said, well, then we fight in the shade. <laughs> That's the Greek mentality for you. That's just the way that they, they uh, way went after that. I guess actually more the, the, the Spartan mentality, but that's what they did. Um, so he said to the driver of the chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at, the, at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army, saying, every man to his city and every man to his own country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the, while the harlots bathed according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house which he had built, and all the cities that he built, and all that were, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the King of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers, and Ahaziah his son uh, reigned in this place. So Jehoshaphat is, sh is showing, as we said, that he is not the sharpest tool in the shed. He's, uh, he's lacking in a few areas here. He is not the sharpest tool in the shed. So he goes into battle as the only king. Now, why is Ahab in this battle? If you're looking at it from Ahab's standpoint, Ahab is in this battle to bring back Ramoth Gilead. But why is Ahab in this battle? To die. That's why he's in the battle. God says, we need him to go to this battle because in this battle, he's going to die. Now, if Ahab had been obedient in the previous thing and not let the king of Syria get out, there probably wouldn't be a battle. But he didn't, and there is a battle. Ahab is in this battle because he is supposed to die. And he does. Why is Jehoshaphat in this battle? If you heard that word from the Lord, why are you in this battle? If, you, if all the other things didn't hit you, when Micaiah said that about the battle, Jehoshaphat should have got up and said, See ya, I am out of this. The Lord is not in this battle. Who called for the prophet of the Lord? 
Jehoshaphat. So that would mean Jehoshaphat wanted to hear what the word of the Lord was to see if they should go into battle. And the Lord said, the Lord did not say, don't go into battle. The Lord said, I want him in battle because I want this guy to die. And all of Israel will be scattered on the hill. In other words, they are losing the battle. Now, Jehoshaphat, I've got to wait to get to heaven to figure this out. Jehoshaphat is either just really wanting to make friends with Ahab. Look, I'm going to go into battle with you anyway. Uh, your people, my people, and so forth. Uh, I'm just going to go into battle with you and uh, get this done. Or, or he's saying, well, if this is the plan of God. I don't want to mess it up. I don't, I don't know what it is. We'll probably have to wait to get into heaven to find out why is Jehoshaphat in this battle? Really no reason for him to be in this battle at all. Yeah, he, uh, he, he shouldn't be there. I had planned on finishing this whole thing up, but we're, we're getting kind of late here, so let's just finish. We'll, we'll finish out the last couple of verses. It's about a whole other uh, episode, and we'll, uh, we'll deal with that in another one uh, when we get into the, to the next. I think we're dealing more with Jehoshaphat as we go on, so we'll, we'll deal with that part of it as we're, we're going on. But here's, a, here's the thing I put in your outline. If you are not willing to hear, why ask for counsel? If you are not willing to hear, why in the world ask for counsel? How many people do you know who have asked for help on a thing? I need, I, need count, I need to know what to do. And you tell them they don't do it. If you're not willing to hear, why in the world are you going to ask for counsel? If you're not willing to hear what God has to say, why ask Him anything? Right? If you're going to ask God for help, that means I don't know what I'm doing. And if God sends a word, if God sends help, what should you do? What He says. I put this in your outline. My willingness to hear what is hard will remove me from many difficult situations. But most times people don't hear what is hard. They don't hear what is difficult because they don't want to. I want to do this. I want to go in this direction. God says you need to cut these things out of your life. I don't want to cut them out of my life. I like them. If you don't do that, this is going to happen. But I like them. Can you give me a way that I can do what I want and... Mm -hmm. That's what we do. Jehoshaphat, as far as I'm concerned, should not be in this battle. He should not have come up to the king, to king I have to begin with. But he did. Put in your uh, outline there, get your ABCs in order. That's simply this. Get your, your buds, your counsel, and your actions in line. Who are your close friends? What counsel are you receiving? And what actions do you have? Are they actions in response to the counsel of the Word of God? To the counsel that comes from Him? Or are we still doing our own thing? We get our, we get our, our stuff in, in order. Get our ABCs going, our actions, our buds, and our counsel. Oh, tell you what, we get life changed. Jehoshaphat is not going to learn from this lesson. He is going to enter into another covenant with another evil king. And in fact, he will do much of the same thing as he's done here. And we'll look at that as the, the weeks come on. We will not be looking at this next week. We have other things going on next week, but we'll be picking it up in, uh, in two more weeks. Father, we thank you for examples you gave us. Some of them we look at and we shake our head. But Father, if we look at our own life, we can shake our head at our life too. We've done some of these things. And just as you showed up 
in a situation that you did not want to be in because of your servant Jehoshaphat. Father, you will show up in situations where we are even when you don't want to be there. We thank you for that great love that you have for us. Father, we want to listen. We want to hear what you have to say that we can avoid these problems and avoid being in these kind of situations. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.